Hi and welcome to the Lakebed Leads podcast episode one and in this episode we are going to catch up with the founder and owner of Lakebed Leads, Mark Friff, as we embark on a remarkable story from back in September 2014 when Mark went on to land a new Bristol Channel record, Shawcourt Congaril. It really is a great story to sit back and relax and we'll let Mark take the story away. All right, Mark. Hello. How you, get, right. how you getting on? Not too bad. All right. Yeah, weather's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's quite settled at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. It's nice if we can get out fishing when it all sort of opens up again. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I say everyone's sort of stuck indoors, it may, but I say there's nothing we can do about it, is it? Like, you know, it's all for all for the best, like. Yeah. Yeah, it's better to be safe than that. Like, what, uh, what are you doing? Are you still at still working at the minute are you having to still go to work and stuff or yeah factory's still open that we're making bits for like lorries and hydraulic systems and some medical bits and different stuff at the moment yeah so I'm still working on the weekends off during the week right. yeah i suppose yeah obviously being sort of like a i suppose if you like you're a, you're a key worker in a way aren't you like one of the supermarkets in the right. factory like that uh, so, that obviously are yeah, sort not, of making not, not yeah. A, yeah not a key key worker like yeah. the hospital Stuff, but we are making bits that people use for transport and everything, so we're still open at the moment, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good, that's good. Uh, yeah, so, what reason I was ringing, uh, we've had quite a lot of people sort of, if you like, messaging, uh, get in contact with me uh, about, so the con grill that you caught back in September 2014, if you cast your mind back to them, it was, uh, we're talking nearly six years ago now, aren't we? Yeah, it's about a while ago. It soon goes. It doesn't seem that long ago, but it is, yeah. Yeah, so I know I, I know there's quite a there's quite a remarkable story behind it and I think a lot of people will be interested to hear it. Uh so if we go right rewind right the way back to September two thousand and fourteen, uh if you sort of pick us up and start us off how it all started really, uh sort of, you know, where so where so where first of all uh, the fish, if anyone has or hasn't seen it, it has been up on social media uh, a couple of times over the years. We, I think when it was caught, it did make quite a few magazines, if I remember rightly, and it uh, did go in the newspaper. Yeah, I think it, is, it was in some of the local magazines. I don't normally put anything no. like that in for that, but I sort of, you know, that story, the day I caught it, I actually phoned up Wayne Thomas, who writes in the journal and everything. It was one of their moments that I remember. When I landed it, I thought to myself, I've sort of caught something here that you don't, all the years I've been fishing, you have the moments where you look at something and you think, well, that, that don't happen very often, like, you know? And the way it unfolded was quite an unusual way to land a fish like that as well, like, so it's quite vivid in the memory. Yeah, I, 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 I think, I can remember getting, it was rather, a, you rather sent me a text message or it was a phone call off of the pier and I think you was in, you were shaken up, to be honest, and... You were struggling to get your words out and you was like, just had this conger and that. And I obviously thought you was pulling my leg like, you know, when you said how big it was and where you'd caught it from. And I think initially when, when you first told a lot of people as well, they thought, you know, you was having them on, didn't they? Yeah, you get quite a few conger off the North Devon coast. A lot of good anglers fish from like, 
you get quite a few twenties every year. There's a low thirty for that, but you know this a fish of forty pound plus isn't you know a common occurrence. I don't think. I think it's. I feel quite lucky that I've caught it off of North Devon coast. We haven't half the problem with fish of that size. People probably do hook them every now and then, but because you know, you're mainly fishing off a of rock box, I was lucky enough to hook mine off the pier mainly off a of rock box, it really isn't easy to land fish of that weight, especially with the swell and the roughness of the seas and that. So I feel quite privileged that I caught it, really. Yeah, no, I know there is, there's, like I say, there's quite a story about the uh, about the landing behind that conger as well, which obviously we'll get on to sh uh, shortly. So if you take us right back to uh, September 2014, because I know there was just a few things that happened in the lead up to the capture in the end of that conger, didn't it? So if you take us back to like the first day and sort of if you like your first trip down to the pier, as it was, it was like a recce trip, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it wasn't really a recce trip, but three days before I sort of, made arrangements to go fishing for the evening, an enjoyable evening with a couple of friends, Richie, your mate, and Dean, and who I normally, you know, they normally go cart fishing most of the time, but, you know, I know Dean likes to get out sea fishing every now and then, and it's enjoyable to go with someone else who, who's quite happy to fish for other bits and bobs, and, you know, it's September time, and there's a few things about, so, but three days before I caught that hill, we went down for an evening trip, and, uh, I forget what was being caught. Me, me being me, normally most of the time sort of will put a big bait out for something in hope or something. And but I remember I had a lighter rod with me with a small 6,000 multiplier and a lighter beach caster. And I wasn't really fishing for anything of any size. But I remember like Dean was catching a few fish. He caught a small red mullet, stunning fish. Might be small, but, you know, so nice to see species of fish that looked like that, you know, it's enjoyable to see that like, but yeah. I, I can't remember who hooked something and lost something, it was either Rich or Dean, can't remember one of them fishing for small stuff, hooked something slightly bigger, not necessarily any old, so I don't know what it was, and it sort of went along and it probably slipped the hook or something like, but I remember thinking to myself, well, perhaps there's a bass about, or maybe a pollock or something like, you know, so I put on a slightly bigger rope, not a big, big up, right, but half a fillet of mackerel, put it down the side, thinking to myself, like, you know, if there is a pollock or a bass there or something, I've got a chance of sort of hooking something. And uh, I forget what the bite was like. I think the bait was next to one of the pillars, one of the big old pillars there. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, yeah. I remember having a bite, like, and I, I, I just remember... I hooked something and it just wanted to go where it wanted to go. There was no way I was going to change its mind. It, you know, it wanted a heavy beach caster. I didn't have a heavy shock meter on and a little 6,500 reel, they're good caster reels, but they haven't really got the guts for anything big. And you don't, you know, I, that pier has done decent yields over the time, over the years, like, you know, it's done 20s and a few done 30s, I believe. And uh, this fish here just, basically just went in under the pier, but next to one of the pillars. And I've seen that pier on low water like, and I know since that event that three quarters of that pier on a big spring tide goes dry and there's no holes. I think round the end of the pier there, there's one or two holes. So uh, not knowing it was, well, in my head, thinking to myself, it must be a conger, it can't be anything else. It basically just went in underneath and I lost it, like, you know. It was all the way home, I'm sort of saying, you know, to Rich and Dean, uh, 
I remember saying that that was a good good fish. That was a big eel, big eel. You know, I it didn't even enter my head it was that size of a fish. If it was the same fish, I, I I'm not sure. Yeah, because if I remember but, uh, rightly, I think that you I uh, I think I spoke to you the the day after or that night that you actually lost a fish and you said that you lost something you looked into something half decent you said you couldn't do anything with it because i remember i think you'd rather a text message or i definitely spoke to you on the phone and you said that you obviously you'd gone down with rich and dean and richard caught the uh the red was it the red gurnard the mullet red mullet red mullet red yeah mullet. i remember you i remember yeah. you saying that and i think i'm i'm fairly certain that you took a, like just a camera phone shot and sent it to me and i was like bloody ass a lovely fish and then like I spoke to you later on and you said that like, you took something off of the pier that you just couldn't do nothing with, like, you know, and you said, like, I wonder if it, what, what you know, we was him and an eye and what it could have been and that. And then, obviously, as the story unfolds, literally, you know, I'll let you carry on and obviously let, the te- let obviously everyone else know what happened. Well, what happened after that was on the way home, I'm sort of saying, like, you know, that was a decent fish, decent fish, and it's, you know, maybe not convincing Rich indeed that it was a decent fish. But we went down uh, about three days later. We made Sean, who takes a bit of luck, went for the tackle shops. Like he, uh, he dug us a pound of luck uh, about three days later. You know, I'm off during the week, so I work weekends in a factory. So uh, I went down with Rich. We met Rich again, and where the intention was to possibly fish for some cod in the luck that I took with me. I took a anywhere any fish rock rod which is a bit more stepped up, uh, Avu 7000 with a big heavy shock leader on. And I'd bought some Fox sea fishing hooks, really solid thick hooks made up of wire trace and that, with the intention of having a go to see if there was a big eel still about, like, you know? Yeah. So I remember we got down there. It was unusual, really, because normally you go for big conger and that. Normally, uh, off these North Devon marks, you go sort of, after dark light, but maybe on a high tide or on a low water mark, on a rock mark. But we turned up and it was September and it was almost like a sunny evening. And it was still light, not the classic conger conditions. The tide was out as well. It just started running in. It wasn't like there was any depth of water there. But I carried on and set up yeah, the conger rod night first before I'd done anything else. I put half a strip of mackerel on, I think, or half a mackerel. I normally put half a mackerel on, like, and hook it under the jaw up through the skull, the solid bit, so it's the, the hook points all stood clear. But it's not too big a bait. Congo, even though Congo are very, very big fish, if you look at the size of the fish, they've got very small heads on them, yeah. small mouths on them, like, you know? So you don't really need a big bait from that, I don't think, especially if you're fishing near any obstruction where, it's like the pier, you cannot fish along hook them. You cannot fish a big bait. You need something that once it gets hold of it, you can hook it as soon as you can. Because you can't give it any room to go in underneath, like, you know? No, you can't so give it any, like, any slack in the line to sort of swallow the bait and move off of it, can you? You almost need to hook no. it instantly, don't you? Yeah, it was more like, because I'd lost the fish, It was in the head, it was more like a, a plan of action. I was thinking of what I was going to do and if I did hook something, not expecting to hook anything big, big, but I basically lowered this bait down and when I lost that eel, it went in right beside one of the pillars. That's where it went in, exactly. So in my head, there must be a hole down there. There's, it's got to be a hole down there because looking at the rest of the pier there on low water on a big tide, there isn't any else. Yeah. So I, I lowered the bait down and I basically let 
that bait drift round sideways beside that pillar that that fish had backed down in. Almost, you know, just thinking to myself, perhaps that's where they, you know, one's gone in behind or living in behind or something. Like you see the classic picture on a wildlife program with a conga head, conga's head stuck out of a wreck. You know, it's... Yeah, uh, yeah I've seen many of photos like that. Yeah, I know what you're on about. Well, I load it down and I let it drift round right by that pillar and I put it on the bottom. Within minutes, I had a bite. Now, a fish like that, a lot of eels get up to 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards, and I don't think you actually totally feel the power of that fish. You've got all the elastic in the fit, the, the line and the distance in the line. Well, when you work it under your rod top and you work something like that, you know, you know it's on. And I I, I had this bite. Now, I could have just hit the bite, but all i done was saw I had that leverage because after losing one, I had it in the edge. Well, if I up one, you ain't going back under there, it's me or you. Not expecting a hook of fish of that size. But I basically wound right down with a rod tip pointed at the bait yeah. before I struck into it, and I had all that arc to lever. So I levered it, and then anyway or any fish rods don't bend very easy. Well, that eel bent that rod. That eel bent that rod, and it was basically for a minute or two. Now, I can't remember, it was all a bit of a blur with it. It was either me or it. It was either coming out or it was going home, one or the other. But because I'd lost something like that before, I knew I couldn't give it any any line at all. Like yeah. I had to lean right out over the pier because of the concrete ledge. You can't allow your shock meter to rub on the concrete either. So you almost leant right out as well. And I eaved and eaved and eaved. And after two and throwing for a minute or two, like a massive, big lunges bending the rod right round, it eventually started to give and come up in the water which is a bit of a relief uh, you're all the time you're praying that your shock leader's not frayed and everything's holding firm and it all seemed all right like that fish come up on the top and it come up lengthwise on not normally with a cog you quite often see the head first then you go to sort of land it and the rest of the body's under the water but it's just come up flat on no length of fish at which point i'm looking at it thinking uh you know that's 30 pound like you know yeah, yeah. And, you know, which was the target, really, to catch a 20s a good fish like. You know, it's all photograph fish. And it's, you know, which is what you, if you go fishing, you catch fish, you enjoy it. If you can go and catch something worth photographing, well, you've almost achieved something, haven't you? Like, you know, you enjoy it, the, you know, the, the success of that. I come up at the surface, well, there was nowhere to land it there. So I had to walk, dragging it along with it swimming along for about, 10 yards towards some steps on the right-hand side of me. And uh, but down below the step, bear in mind, it's still almost lower water. It's only just started coming in. Not, not classic concrete conditions at all whatsoever. So quite lucky to do that, really. Now, uh, Rich, I was stood above where the fish was, down near some steps the other end. And uh, there's different stages, almost handrail stages going down there where they get off the boat at different boats at different uh, states at the time. Well, uh, the guy Rich went down below. And uh, I don't like gaffing fish, never gaff fish. I hate gaffing fish. But if you do have to gaff one, you just chin it. Yeah. Just in the very end. Rich chinned it in the very end because there was no way that that was coming out any other way. And he just spun and just straightened straight the gaff head. Yeah, I know, yeah, I remember, I remember you saying it was yeah. straight in the gaff head, didn't it? 
Yeah, straight to the gaffer. They won't have was a fake gaffer. They won't have any of that. And uh, so Rich, Rich had the shock leader. So I shouted to him, I'll come down. And I, I just opened up the ratchet and free spool and the motor ply and propped the rod up the top. And I went down below. And all I could see was this big eel on the surface there. And I was looking at it and thinking, well, this isn't going to happen very often. I ain't going to get much chance of this again. I don't really want to lose this, like, you know. And it could so easily go wrong. There's loads of things that could go wrong. But luckily for once, in this case, it seemed to go right, like, you know. But at this point, this hill was there, and Rich had hold of the shock leader. There's no way of landing it. There's no, no, no gaff here, no gaff now. It's straightened that out. And I don't like doing that. I would never gaff it in the body or anything anyway, like, you know. It's, so it's that was totally out of the question. So Rich had the shock leader, so... but. I grabbed hold of the shock leader who let me have it and the fish, all you could feel was the weight of that fish with the tide coming in and going back. Every time it goes back, if anybody's been sea fishing up something like that, you can feel that the weight goes like three or four times heavier yeah. as it's pulling back. And I, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm going to lose this fish in a minute. But yeah, below the steps, you've got like a plat- concrete flat platform. <clears throat> and there was about two foot of water over that platform. You know, up to, you know, almost up to your knees, up to your knees, probably. Like, So I, I worked my way down the shop leader and slowly got the seal over this platform. And I thought, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do? So the only thing I could think of was jump in. So I jumped in, grabbed over the wire trace just above its head and pinned it to the concrete of the back wall. I had one hand, the left hand, facing the back wall with you up against the back wall, the concrete wall facing the back wall in hand in front of its mouth, holding onto the wire trace with it spinning. And uh, the other hand, I managed to put behind its tail, like, but more towards the body. So you almost got the weight of the body there. But I could see above me to the left, there's about 20, 30 people watching me. Yeah, I know. You were saying there was quite a bit of a crowd now, wasn't there? Oh, there was a crowd there all watching this, and I thought to myself, I'm going to lose it. I do not want to lose this. I don't want to lose it, but it was sort of... Every time I went to lift it, if you hold a fish up for a photo, any fish, quite often they move all flat. But sometimes you can get away with it by lifting it very slowly, and very carefully, and it will sit still. And I attempted to do this half a dozen times. They won't have it. They don't flap on grill. They just back off. And it's backing off. And I'm trying to lift its tail up to drop its body back down so the weight's going back down. And half a dozen times of doing this, it, it wouldn't have it. But after about, I don't know, well, probably four or five minutes of trying it half a dozen times, I slowly lifted the eel up and I pulled it into my chest and it kept still. And I carried that eel, 43 and a half pound of eel, up against my chest, up onto the top flat, bottom platform and up the steps and all the way. So I literally landed that one by lifting it up and carrying it out. Yeah. Of course, like, once I'm up the top there, I'm looking at this fish, I'm looking at it and well, that's, that's bigger than I thought, like, you know? You could almost tell that, that the width of the body was different, and even the skin was different on that. It looked older, like stunning fish. Oh, I see that the photographs that you got of it, you can just tell it's an old fish. The skin, the colours, it it just looked a really, really old fish, didn't it? Yeah, so when I, 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 I go further on with the story in a minute, I actually caught another one later in the week, and that was that seemed old totally different this one this one seemed in really good condition like you know? yeah and of course we weighed it managed to bring something together to weigh it put it up on the scales and weighed it 
and uh, yeah, forty three and a half pound. I, I know there's you know people call bigger reels off the shore and that, but North Devon coasting like a forty, a thirty is is a really really good fish. Like it is, you know, they got the old scrape of thirty seems to come out most winters, like to someone, like you know, and uh, but forty forty three and a half is uh, I was jumping at. I actually knew people that go fishing, you catch loads of fish. Uh, people can catch loads of fish and people can catch loads of good fish, but every now and you catch something and you saw they well that ain't happening every day. It's something that's no, not no. happening every day that it won't probably happening most that week, like, you know, and you know, I, I will say I did feel as if I'd sort of achieved something there. Like I was really, really chuffed with that. We weighed it and everything and Yeah, I mean it was all weighed yeah, properly we, and that was it on the, was it on a set of carp scales, was it? You had or no you had yeah, it, was yeah. Car, it was on the carp scales, yeah. like, you know. And we weighed it and everything, like, and uh, to be fair, we put I put it back, like, didn't have out the water very long, like, made sure it was looked after, unhooked it, like, it was only hooked in the jaw, like, you know. Yeah. Put it back and it swam off absolutely fine. It actually went down left, I remember putting it in and seeing it go down left, like, you know, to the, almost in the direction of where it come from, like, you know. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure whether these eels always live in these places. And the snag here, the, the pier... The snaggy of the area, I think you could have more resident eels like that. But, you know, I'm pretty convinced down that pier it does, you know, it can it'd be easily dismissed, Ilford Pier. There's not a lot of it. But it's, it's going to attract fish like if you've got boats in the harbour further up and they're, they're washing the decks down and they're gutting like the fish they're catching and things, it's always going to put a central. And I think you've always got a chance around that Ilford Pier or any pier that there's boats working like that drawing fish in, you know, conger and bass and different things like, you know. And yeah, I was, you know, everything seemed to go right on that occasion and uh, I was just, just for catching it, you know. I was obviously rich out loads like my friend Mike and uh, he played a big part in it, like, you know. So, uh, but yeah, this, the, the story goes on a little bit as well because uh, about five, at the end of the week, that was... I was, uh, I, I probably went with Dean on the Friday night and I probably called out on a Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember because I was obviously still out. About three days or four or five days or whatever after that, I went fishing with my friend Marcin and we went to a rock mark and uh, it was a big tide, we were fishing for Huss and Conger and things, right, you know? Yeah. But the, t- it, the sea was rough, it was dark, it was rough, it was angry and it was a big, big tide. And on rock mark, we could normally stay on. We couldn't stay on it. Like, and on high tide, it was, we, we, I was just losing leads where it, it, seven ounces of lead, it was just lumping them up and moving them on the bottom, like. So we packed up, and on the way home, we, we were on Ilfricum, mate. On the way home, we drove into the car park, I said to Marcin, like, you know, it was about midnight. Neither of us working the weekend shift, that'd be up early the next day. So I said, like, no, I'm about fishing for an hour, he said, we're going to have a look. So I remember getting out the car and walking down to the pier and I, I, the tide was right up. It was a wash over the area where I'd up that biggie all night, you know. Couldn't get anywhere near it. Yeah. So I, I fished the area where I actually landed the eel, which is in the harbour more like a bit. And, well, this this second eel I caught like in the same week, this is the story. Is, there, uh, I remember looking over the edge. There was no one there and it was about 12 at night. And you, you you get that feeling, don't you? You just, when I caught that one, it, you looked down, it was dark, it was lumpy, it was atmospheric, it was inky, and it just, you you just thought to yourself, 
there's, there's got to be something big down there feeding, right? You know, there's got to be. And I'll load a bait down, you know, out from the pier, really, out a bit from the pier. Load a bait down, like, and uh, two rods. Yeah, again, only took like five minutes, had a bite, up this eel, played it out, got it up on the surface. Marcin is, we know Marcin is big lad, big, big lad, like, you know. Yeah. He's, I used to go with him a bit, like before, you know, quite a bit, and he always wondered why I'd quite often set there with two old mackerel. I could catch nothing most of the time, right? But, you know, that night, the first night I caught something decent when I went with Marcin, this was, and uh, I was just about to say to Marcin, like, you know, what to do to land that eel as it come up on the top, the second eel. But with that, it was one part of his arms, the size he is, this eel come right up over the pier without no problem at all. Like, he landed that in 30 seconds. You know, I landed another one, like, 22, 14. And that eel there was probably longer than the 40. And that eel there really looked like it was old. It had yeah. like a, a crooked jaw on it. Now, I think that second eel actually lived in that pier. The reason being, you get a lot of holiday makers in the summer and they hook stuff on slight rigs. They hook stuff feathering down the side. They hook stuff and they get snapped up by stuff. And this eel here was black. It had one eye. The other one was missing, but all healed up. It had a crooked jaw and it just looked so old almost as if it had lived there for years so i managed to land that one in the same week at 40 and at 23 and uh you know, i had a pretty good like gotten a bit of a roll of it about three weeks later as well went down there again with martin of an evening and uh same thing it was about i was fishing for conga i didn't catch anything like no conga uh just couldn't get a bite with them but Tide was going out, and we were just about to go home. It was about 12 at night, and Marcin was catching whiting, early season whiting. And he was catching them quite close in, really, 20 yards out, which is, you know, normally cast out a bit from. And I, I, he called his whiting, and I, remember I said to him, like, you know, let's, let's have one of them for life, mate. And I, I put a whiting on and flicked it out. And to the left of it, I put a Joey Mackle. And I remember actually saying to Marcin, He's, he's whiting and really close, isn't he? I wonder if there's any bass after him. Oh, that's what I actually said to him, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I remember having a hit on the Joey Mackerel, not on the live bait, but then the live bait kicking out might have attracted something into the air, you know, because the bait running is like 10 foot apart. I had a hit and it stripped line off and dropped it. And, of course, I, I picked, picked the rod up and reeled. I could have reeled in, but I thought, you you, you check your drag down, and I thought, well, oh, no, it's a bit tightness, like, you know. I was sort of kicking myself for having the spool a little on free spool, but I could have loosened it off a bit. So I loosened it off, put the rod down, and aim, uh, sort of put the angle a bit narrow on it. About five minutes later, that same rod got hit again, and I left it. And then within about a minute of it being hit again, it buckled over and lifted. Even with the, the spool free, it lifted the nut off the ground. Oh, and, I remember uh, you saying, yeah, the take was really savage, wasn't it? Yeah, really savage, Mike. And uh, Marcin went down and landed up for me, £10.49 bass. So it's, it's funny how it goes. I can, I, I can assure you, like, you know, many a time you go and go and go and catch bugger all. Like, you, you really struggle. And you're doing it time and time again. But every now and then you get on a bit of a roll, like, and I, I was a bit on a bit of a roll there. But I think, I think most of the time when I went there, I was quite happy to actually go most of the time and sit there with two rods with two old Joey mackerel and not catch anything half the time or have stuff fall off. We couldn't get the big ups in the bait. But sometimes you stick to your guns and you sort of do stuff and it works out. 
you know, pretty well, like, you know. So, but I think, I think where people say, like, Wayne Thomas, who put that eel in the journal for me, and I don't normally put stuff in there. I remember phoning Ian, Wayne up and saying, I've got three forty-three pound eels down off compare. I remember Wayne, you know, turning around and thought I was winding them up. So, no, 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 what do you want? What do you want? So I told him, like, and he, he, he said, I'll put it in the journal, put the page on home, put it in the journal, like, and... I think Wayne keeps a bit of a sort of record of things. I've never said it was a Bristol Channel record myself. It's only what, you know, people have said to me and Wayne said. But Wayne said, because I had witnesses and everything, he said it's probably the biggest authenticated one. He knows that was genuinely definitely caught with witnesses and everything. So it's done. But I think the, the one thing that chuffed me more than anything was I was brought up watching Total Fishing and stuff like that with Matt Hayes. And I remember him putting on his Facebook page and putting on their like, story of the week. Yeah, yeah no, that was right, my yeah. story of the Congreal, you know, I caught it. And that meant more to me, you know, I've never really said it, for Matt Ace to put it on his Facebook page and sort of be chuffed with the story and that, that meant quite a lot to me. Like, you know, anything else, you know, you, you're pleased you catch the fish and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, it's good. But I know it definitely like and... definitely shocked a lot of people, didn't it? And uh, I say, obviously, not going without going too much into depth, uh, on negative side of things, I know there was a even a few people that were sort of messaging in and saying that you'd called it out at sea and you'd bring it back and photographed it, and you know there was a few stories going around. But obviously, yourself and Richie and you know the thirty odd people that were stood on the on the pier that day when you landed that fish know that you know you know it was you know it wasn't caught out on a boat in the middle of the sea and bring back. It was you know landed off the shore, wasn't it? I'll tell you one thing, I've, I've got some PBs of other species, but I haven't got really, really big PBs of a lot of species. I can make them up if you want me to make them up, but I'm not that way inclined, like, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, I call that fish off the shore like that, like, you know? The only way I would have called it in a boat is go down there with my Porsche 911, 90 mile an hour offshore and dropping off the yard, getting in my speedboat, going at the sea, yeah. like, God knows how many knots, dropping it down and bringing it back and photographing it, like, but, you know, it, it's just as it is like you know i call that fish like that and it's just a surprise to me i know there's bigger eels caught around the country but off the north devon coast here it's you don't expect it like and it's when when it you make all the effort people put in and the time they put in it's all you know you have that you have that happen and you get on a bit of a run with one or two fish and you know like that eel like sometimes every now and then you catch something you just know that in that every day like you know and it makes it a little bit special like and that's right, because I've gone heart fishing with different things. Is because I lowered that bait by that that pillow or that bite. I had that bite doing that. I almost feel like I stalked out a conger eel, like you know, it's, it's yeah. just quite unusual, like you know. But yeah, it was quite a you know, just carrying it up the steps of the arm. I, I, I think that's you know, it's, I was very lucky how things went. Like I say, my mate Rich helped me a lot with that. Yeah, like, so you, you got so, got some really nice photos. You got a really nice photo of it as well, like which is unusual. You, yeah. I say usually yeah. it's not the easiest thing to photograph sea fish, especially if you're on your own there, in there on the rocks and whatnot. And yeah, but yeah, yeah you've got I, some I good photos of it. I think when I'm used to sort of fishing for pike and stuff like that, it's quite nice to have a photo where you're sort of holding it, you know, just lengthwise on rather than up, you know. So it does the fish justice. If you look at the picture, like it's it's, it's you know, you don't realise the colours of them, like and like the blues on the fins and everything, like you know. It's uh, but yeah, I've had I've had several fish since around that pier. Like I've not had anything as big as that. I've had doubles up to just under twenty, like a few fish. Soon you got on a row, I seem to catch one after the other for a little while in that area. But then lately, it's almost like I can't sort of 
get a bike there when I've been down like it. Just, uh, I don't know whether they live there or not. I do know one thing with congreels. I do know that, you know, when you fish an area like that up here there, when it's normally, when it's calm or it's still night, I think if you can find where they're almost sat in, but it's like where I caught the second one. There was nowhere that was out feeding that second one. Yeah. Like, you know? And I think when it's dark, murky and lumpy like that, I think they come out to feed more. They actually look for... So a lot of fish do it, don't they? Like, it turns up the bottom and everything. You, I think if I went down there, you know, a fish room regularly, I think I'd rather sort of go down in them really dark, murky nights. You know, a lot of it as well, it's like, it's a lot of fishing when you enjoy the fishing for bigger fish. Is you, you know, for me, it's nice to have that atmosphere. With it. It's like with that second fish when I looked down and it was dark and murky and lumpy. You almost feel like I can't wait to get a bait down there. Like, it's got to be something feeding the nets. Like, you know, and it's quite often nice to sort of fish that way. Like, a lot of fish, you know, people forget a lot of it. It's about the atmosphere, and it? Like, you know, you just see fishing on a rock market at night, and that it's, it's not all about fish, it's the atmosphere. Like, it's, it's you know, you're out in the open sea, aren't you? Like, and it's, uh, it can be a bit eerie at times, like, you know, but it's, it sort of adds to the capture of the fish as well, I think. Like, you know, it's sort of, but yeah, that's the story of the eel. Like, and uh, like I say, it went back fine, and, the next one went back fine, and whether they, I don't know whether they stay in the same area or what they do, like, yeah. you know, but it's, uh, it, uh, maybe, no. maybe it just goes through cycles, I don't know, I'll say, you say you, you've been down there since then and fished and not had anything nowhere near that size, and, you know, just that, yeah. that, that year there, they just, maybe there were just, a, you know, a few bigger conga that were hanging around that, that you know, that, that pier for, for whatever reason, you know, and there was a few, obviously, like, some big bass that came in and that. I think I might have sort of, that week where I had two fish out, I think I might have sort of been the first one for a while to sort of fish it like that. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. They were almost left a bit undisturbed and that, like, you know. I did the next half a dozen trips down there. I remember I was, you know, I was catching one or two doubles quite often, like, and yeah. lost a few as well, like, you know, nothing like that. I think they were, like, but I lost one or two. But I didn't want to see the fish. I don't like the old crab lines they put down there in the summer, like the crab nets. And that, like, I think they they get caught up, and you, I think one or two I lost got caught on them things, like hooked up there on the, you get caught on the cord and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I was. I think the reason I landed that for is because I lost something before, and it was almost as if it, you work out what you're gonna do. Like when you strike, you've got to have that leverage. You got it's your it, and you know it. Like you know it. It's uh, it's strange with a. Anywhere any fish rock rods, you know, if someone holds it, you try to bend the top, you can't bend it. You can't bend the damn thing. But, you know, you hook something like an eel and it bends it double. I don't know how it does it really, like, you know. But it, it, it's, it's strange, but it's, uh, yeah, that's that's how I call that. But I like the sea fishing now. Like, I like the not knowing what you're going to catch. And like I say, I find it at times got a nice atmosphere to it. But to be fair, I like fishing for everything and anything, like, you know, when we can. And uh, it'd be nice to get out of this lock-up and all go fishing. But, you know, we need to be in it at the moment. Like, you only know, have to see the nurses on the telly, you know, asking not to go out. That's why we should do it. Like, that's why we shouldn't go out. And it's, uh, but, you know, fish won't go anywhere, like, and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to look a few decent things again, like, you know. But I think we're all chomping at the bit. Like, yeah. You know? No, yeah, um, no, I t- totally safe. agree. That's the main thing, you know, we can go in the future that way, like, you know. Yeah, so hopefully it'll only be a couple more weeks and that, yeah. Uh, well, thanks for that, Mark. As I'm sure uh, the listeners would have found that very interesting. And I know, I'll say there is a photo going around, or I'll, uh, I'll certainly attach it with this podcast underneath if, if for those who haven't seen it. Uh, 
but yeah, as I say, it's a nice photo and a great story, Mark. So uh, thanks for thanks for coming on tonight. No problem. I'll speak to you soon, man. Yeah, cheers, Mark. Thanks. Bye. 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 And what a great story that was there from Mark of Late Bed Led. Some really inspirational stuff there, Mark. So thanks for coming on tonight. Uh, remember, guys, uh, hang on, hang in there. Stay safe, stay home and save lives. And we'll catch you again next time. <laughs>